Parashat Mishpatim, the Parashat Mishpatim contains two parts. The first part and the second part. The first part of Mishpatim is a list of halachot. Starting with the halachot of Eved Ivri. That goes through most of the parashah. All sorts of halachot. What are they doing there, these halachot? <coughs> well, it was like Moshe Rabbeinu was teaching the Torah to the name Israel in order that they should be able to accept the Torah. Because as I think we pointed out, it's very hard to accept something if you don't know what it is that you're... So you have to know something. You have to know something about the Torah. And even though they knew certain mitzvot, the name Israel knew certain mitzvot, they, they didn't have it in the context of Torah. Because Torah, as opposed to regular kind of information, is a growth product. It, it creates more and more of itself all the time. But Mishpatim, <coughs> the parish of Mishpatim, contains all of these halachot that Moshe Rabbeinu taught B'nai Yisrael in order that they should be able to accept the Torah. Which sounds like an odd sentence, but I think that's what it is. The second part of the parasha of Mishpatim is the completion of Matan Torah. Completion of Matan Torah. This Matan Torah took place in two jumps. First, B'nai Yisrael stood at Har Sinai, Vav Sivan, right at the beginning of the sixth day of Sivan, and they uh, heard the sounds, and there was thunder, and there was a cold shofar, <coughs> there was this sound and light show which they knew somehow was generated by God. They knew that. And they heard God's voice. And according to Chazal, the content of what they heard was the first two of the Aserites had been wrote. And this story is told in the parasha of Yitzro, last week's parasha. Then Moshe Rabbeinu, then Moshe Rabbeinu said, okay, what about the rest of the Torah? So Moshe Rabbeinu went up at the end of the parasha of Mishpatim, went up again on Har Sinai, where he stayed for 40 days and 40 nights. Right? And he got to the parasha, and he got to the parasha of, um, he got there. But you know, the parashiyot go like this. There's Yitro, then Mishpatim. After Mishpatim, what parasha comes after Mishpatim? Truma. Truma That's about building the Mishkan. Then Kitisa. Now Kitisa is a long parasha, has all sorts of things in it, but what does Kitisa have in it that's very important for our discussion? The Chaita Ega. The Chaita Ega, the transgression of the golden calf. And then Vayakel Pekude, which for some reason is a repetition of Truman Ditzavah. So let's understand. So where is Batan Torah in this whole story? So in the parish of Yitro, you have the story of Moshe Rabbeinu and the event, what's called in English the Theophany. God appearing to B'nai Yisrael and saying something. In the parasha of Mishpatim, in the parasha of Mishpatim, Moshe Rabbeinu goes up to Har Sinai again, where he stays 40 days and 40 nights in order to get the Torah. It's not clear what the Torah is. How much of the Torah did he? But, but there seem to be two, two schools of thought. One is that Moshe Rabbeinu learned the Torah Shavichtav, the written Torah, which includes Taryag Mitzvot, <coughs> but not what we call Torah Shavaltech. In other words, the Torah Shavichtav says, build a sukkah. And the Torah Shavuot says, well, what if it's built under somebody else's porch? Right, so what is it that Moshe Rabbeinu received when he went up for the first 40 days of 40 nights, Yeshua Mim, 
Torah Shavichtav. Torah Shavichtav means the basic understanding of things. Moshe Rabbeinu, yes, Moshe Rabbeinu, how do you build the sukkah? He will tell you. But he said, can I build my sukkah under somebody's porch, and the porch is on the fifth floor of a big apartment building? They say, oh, that's an interesting question. And then Moshe Rabbeinu, after 40 days, came down from Har Sinai, came down from Har Sinai, and discovered the Chaitaiga. Discovered <coughs> the golden calf. Forty more days, Moshe Rabbeinu prayed and punished and discussed and negotiated that Akkadish Baruch Hu agreed that Moshe Rabbeinu should go up on Har Sinai and get the Torah again, probably this time with Torah Shemalpeh. So Moshe Rabbeinu was again on Har Sinai for 40 days and 40 nights. Received the Torah Shemalpeh, he received again, plus the Torah, the Torah Shemalpeh, and he came down to the Har Sinai the second time, the third time, the fourth time. <coughs> and on what day? Yom Kippur. On the day of Yom Kippur. Moshe Rabbeinu came down from Har Sinai and he said, let's build a Mishkan. That's the first mitzvah after Matan Torah. So I'll do it again. Parashav Yitro. They arrived at Har Sinai. And on the sixth day or the seventh day of Sivan, there was, there was Matan Torah. But you have to understand, when we talk about Matan Torah and Vasivan, it's not the time of Matan Torah at all. It's the time when B'nai Yisrael understood that there could be Matan Torah. Because if Matan Torah, the Torah is five books, Breshit Advarim, plus Torah Shavikrat, Torah Shavalpet, they didn't get any of that. On the fifth, sixth day of Sivan, all they got was the first two of the Aseret Hadibrot. And the other eight of the, of the Aseret Hadibrot were taught to B'nai Yisrael by Moshe Rabbeinu at the end of that day. <coughs> I mean, is that, is that clear? So when it's important to remember that on the day of Matan Torah, B'nai Yisrael did not receive the Torah. They received a little bit of Torah. But that receiving the little bit of Torah was very important to them. Because it indicated what Vayaminu Bashem of Moshe Avdo meant. That they could have faith that Moshe Rabbeinu would tell them the truth about God's will. And that's called Matan Torah. <coughs> there was also, there was also a Matan Torah of the big Torah, which happened 40 days later, where the Torah unfortunately was not actually given to B'nai Yisrael because of the Chaita Egel, Moshe Rabbeinu wrote the Luchot, so he didn't give it, he had no one to give them to he came down from Har Sinai with Luchot, with these, with these tablets. He looked around, and there was no Am Yisrael. Am Yisrael was missing. No one to give Luchot to. So he broke them. That was on the... <coughs> what? That was on the front of the papers. Uh, 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 it doesn't matter. Forty days later... Then, then for 40 days, Moshe Rabbeinu tried to recover. For 40 days, Moshe Rabbeinu tried to recover, to bring Am Yisrael back into the fold, to get the Kaddish Bachel to agree to a rerun. And that took place. So from Rosh Chodesh Elul, if you count the days, from Shavuot of Etamos until Rosh Chodesh Elul, you have 40 days. And from Rosh Chodesh Elul until Yom Kippurim, 
Yosef have 40 days. So it took from Vav Sivan until Yom Kippurim 120 days to complete what we call Matan Torah. But, as I said, something happened in the parashiyot of Yitro and Mishpatim. Just standing at Har Sinai, standing at Har Sinai and hearing the first two commandments meant something. It meant something that had something that had never happened before in history. <coughs> and about what happened and how it happened. There is a tremendous or a serious machloket rishonim. On the one side, the Rambam, and the other side, the Ramban, the Kuzari, the Ramban, and the Drashot Haran. Those three sources stand against the Rambam. So first I'll tell you what the three sources say, and then we'll learn the Rambam. We'll see what the Rambam says. The three sources say that the trick of Matan Torah, now I'm talking about not Matan Torah 120 days. <coughs> I'm talking about Matan Torah above Sivan. One day. What happened on that one day? The prophecy of Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu as the interim, intermediary between God and people in terms of Torah, was validated. Validated above Siva? How? How is it validated? So they all say the Rabban says the Rabban and the Kuzri, they say. All of B'nai Israel were in Moshe Rabbeinu's head. And it was just as Moshe Rabbeinu knew very well that God was speaking to him. No one ever asked that question. A prophet knows that he is a prophet. I may need a sign. I may not know that he is a prophet, but he surely knows that he is a prophet. So, <coughs> the Torah tells us, if somebody comes along and says he's a prophet, he may well be. And we test him. We say, you know, let's see you do something, let's see you say something. We, we test him. When it came to Moshe Rabbeinu, when it came to Moshe the, the stakes were so high that just believing Moshe Rabbeinu, the Kuzuri says, well, just believing Moshe Rabbeinu because he took us out of the tribe. Because he was good to us. Because he's a great leader. That wasn't good enough. Because we know that great leaders, <coughs> great personalities, often end up in ruin. It's not enough for the Torah to have it said that Moshe Rabbeinu was a great man. It's not enough. We have to be able to say that Moshe Rabbeinu brought us the Torah. I know it for a fact. Now how could I possibly know it for a fact? So again, the Kuzari, the Ramban, the Dreshot Aram, they all say, the people were on the same level of prophecy as Moshe Rabbeinu for those two groups. It was Moshe Rabbeinu was not the intermediary of the Torah, but you might say, they don't say this, but you might say, that everybody in Am Yisrael was for a moment Moshe Rabbeinu. Everybody was Moshe Rabbeinu. <coughs> that is what proves to them, without a doubt, that God was speaking the words of Torah to Moshe Rabbeinu. Now, even though, I mean, I may say this with enthusiasm, I don't mean that you should think that I understand what I am saying. But you know that geometrically, like, or, you know, that, that if you just, like, make a picture out of it, it makes perfect sense. It makes perfect sense. The only way to validate 
Moshe Rabbeinu as the purveyor of Torah is to be Moshe Rabbeinu. I mean, it's no doubt that Moshe Rabbeinu was certain. What was going to make B'nai Yisrael certain? It couldn't be the noise. It couldn't have been, it couldn't be the, the, uh, <coughs> the thunder and the lightning. Couldn't be all of that. I mean, that could happen anytime, any place. But what it was was, they were all connected to the prophecy of Moshe Rabbeinu for a moment. So they knew who Moshe Rabbeinu really was. And once you know that Moshe Rabbeinu is Moshe Rabbeinu, it produces a kind of a chazakah. The expectation is <coughs> that if Moshe Rabbeinu says, and God told me, and then says something, you tend to believe it. And that's what Vayaminu b'Moshe, Vayaminu b'Hashem, Moshe Avda. They, they knew that Moshe Rabbeinu's connection to God made it reasonable to think that whatever Moshe Rabbeinu told them that God said was, was, was likely, was likely to be. Now, on a particular point, the Rabban disagrees with the Ramban, with the Joshua Duran, and with the Kuzari. And he expresses his opinion in that book he wrote called The Guide to the Perplexed, which is a book of philosophy. The Guide to the Perplexed, we're going to look at one chapter now. <coughs> uh, this is uh, it's the English translation done by Professor Peterson, which is uh, really the best English translation that exists, that is around. <coughs> in Hebrew, there is a classical translation of Ibn Tibbet, who the family, the Ibn Tibbet family, was a family of translators who were contemporary with the Rambam. And they, and you know, that the Rambam, everything the Rambam wrote was written in Arabic, Judeo Arabic, except for the Yad HaZakah, except for his great halachic work, but everything else that he ever wrote was written in Judeo-Arabic, translated in his lifetime by the, by different members of the Ibn Tibbet family who, who like, you know, they weren't shoemakers, they were translators. And they were, uh, in order to translate the Rambam, they had to write that dictionary to explain why they translated certain words in Arabic. I mean, Arabic was very well developed as a language for philosophy. So they had to sort of make their own dictionary. In modern times, in modern times, it is recently, there is a new translation of the Hebrew by uh, Rabbi Katech, who was a Yemenite uh, Rav from Sana, a very serious Talmud Chacham, who was a Dayan, and he put out a lot of. Uh, and the, the, the family, the, you know, the, the Yemenites have a special connection to the Rambam. They paskin like the Rambam. They live like the Rambam. <coughs> and a new translation by Professor Schwartz, who taught in uh, Tel Aviv University, which is, so all these translations are very good, but in the old English translation, which was done by somebody named Friedlander, which is okay, but uh, doesn't soar with the eagles like uh, the Peter's translation does. So, uh, so this, what you have before you, although sort of in a choppy way for some reason, is uh, the Peter's translation to part 2, chapter 33 of the Guide to the Perplex. So we'll go through it, you know, hopefully clearly, quickly. The Rambam says this, it is clear to me that gathering at Mount Sinai, not everything that, that reached Moshe also reached all Yisrael. This is a basic proposition that the Rambam says. I'm on page two. It's a little like printed in an odd way. <coughs> but you see, you see where we are, page two? This is Maimonides. Not everything that reached Moshe also reached all Yisrael. Speech was addressed to Moshe alone. For this reason, in the whole Decalogue, the Sertha de Groot, the second person singular is used. 
second person singular is Ata. So, like, it's the, 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 the essay, there's a loathing note. Who's Ata? Ata loathing note. It's like, it's like, a, a, like, Hashem is talking to a person, a singular person. And that singular person, according to the Rambam, is Moshe Rabbeinu. So that, that when you read the story of the Aserah that they wrote, you're reading a conversation between God and Moshe Rabbeinu. And he, uh, you see, peace beyond him, I, I'm going to skip those things, uh, went to the foot of the mountain and communicated to the people what he had heard. The text of the Torah reads, I stood between the Lord and you at that time to declare unto you the word of the Lord. Now, I have only Sukim in Hebrew on page one, but it'll be a little bit annoying to keep going back and forth, but you can do it on your own if you like. So he says that there's a puzzle. You see these uh, italics said to the Sukim? I stood between the Lord and you at that time to declare unto you the word of the Lord. So who's speaking to B'nai Israel? Moshe Rabbeinu is speaking to B'nai Israel. Who's speaking to Moshe Rabbeinu? God is speaking to Moshe Rabbeinu. That's the way the Rambam, that's the way the Rambam says it. The Rambam in its opening line in this chapter says something that, that is very important and he says again, Speech was a, uh, I'm sorry, not everything that reached Moshe also reached all Yisrael. Not everything, that, that's Matan Torah, this Hitzkalmut, this uh, uh, theophany that is taking place on Bab Sivan, it's not the same for everybody. Moshe Rabbeinu is one level, and all of Am Yisrael is another level. That's what the Rambam, <coughs> that's what the Rambam says. He says, uh, it also says, furthermore, Moshe spoke, and God answered him by a voice. Moshe declared, uh, God answered Moshe with a voice, with a voice. And it is explicitly said in the Mechilta, the Mechilta is the Medrash, Halacha to say the Shmot, a Tanaitic source that he repeated to them each and every commandment as he heard it. Right, so you see, the Rambam, the Rambam is very clear not to confuse Moshe Rabbeinu with the rest of Am Yisrael. Moshe Rabbeinu has a special standing, he's in a special place, and he's even at Arsinah, Rav Sivan, in the morning, when everybody's standing there and all the things happening, Moshe Rabbeinu is the Rebbe. He's the teacher. He's the person who's bringing... <coughs> the word of God to the Nagy Israel. Again, a text of the Torah reads that the people may hear when I speak with them and so on. This is a proof that it was he who spoke to them that they heard the great voice, but not the articulation of speech. When, they, when, when the Torah says that they heard cold, when they heard the voice of God, it doesn't mean that they heard the words of God. This is the Rambam. This is the Rambam. The people are the Rambam. What do you mean they heard the voice of God but they didn't hear the words of God? Because they didn't have that capacity. Who heard the words of God? Moshe Rabbeinu heard the words of God. Who heard the sound of God? Everybody. <coughs> heard the sound of God. This is a proof that it was he, he who was spoken to and that they heard the great voice, but not the articulations of speech. About hearing this great voice, it said, when you heard the voice, and it also said you heard the voice of words, but when you heard the, the, the voice, I said, you saw no figure. Only a voice, no figure, means that they, that, that they couldn't discern in the voice content that's a figure. You know, there's no drawing came out of it. They, they, they just heard noise. It was God's voice, but it was not God's words that they heard. Thus, every time when they're hearing words is mentioned, it is they're hearing the voice that is meant. He goes all the way, even if it says in the Torah that they heard the words of God, it doesn't mean that they heard the words of God. They only heard the voice of God. <coughs> Okay. Moshe being the one who heard the words, 
and reported them to them that you might be able to learn these psukim in a different way. But there's no doubt about the way the Rambam wants you to learn them. The Rambam says, there was Moshe Rabbeinu and everybody else. And you have to remember that the Rambam here is taking care of a very serious problem. <coughs> that very serious problem is that the second time when Moshe Rabbeinu went up to R.C. night for the 40 days or 40 nights, Rabbah's going to mention it very shortly, but I just want to tell you. <coughs> Remember that Moshe that the people said to Moshe Rabbeinu, you go. Oh, we don't have to go with you. We had enough. We were there in the morning, a lot of noise, a lot of thunder, a lot of lightning. You go get the Torah for us. And what happened as a result? Moshe Rabbeinu went and he got the Torah. And left the Bnei Yisrael behind. So now we simpletons that we are. If, if we were at that movie and we said, what's going on? What do you mean today you are refusing to receive the Torah? That was the whole purpose of their existence. So if you rewrite it in the way Moshe Rabbeinu rewrote it and you say this, they come to Moshe Rabbeinu and say, look, we don't understand anything anyway. All we have is, is just the frightening experience of being with the noise and the lightning. So you go, we already have that we're not going to get the Torah anyway. We're going to have to wait for you to come down from the mountain and teach it to us. Okay, so we'll wait here. That doesn't sound so bad, the way the Rambam tells the story. It's not quite so bad. <coughs> I, I excuse myself again for coughing, but believe me, I'm not doing it on purpose. What? So good. Yes, good. Thank you very much. So good has a word. Now listen to this. However, in line 15, last word is 15, they have a dictum for the way in several passages of the Midrashim, they also speak in the Talmud. A dictum is a statement. He likes sometimes to say things in Latin. Because if you say things in a manner that's incomprehensible, everybody thinks you know what you're talking about. <laughs> he happened to know what he was talking about. But he figured he might as well annoy us a little. This is their dictum, the Chachameh. They heard, I... I and thou shalt, I is Anochi. Anochi Hashem Elokechot. As the Nei Yisrael, when, when, when they were standing at the mountain, they heard these two statements from God. Anochi Hashem Elokechot, right? Diver number one. And Lo Yelechot, Diver number two. So, on the Rambam's, on the Rambam's theory, it's a kasha. Isn't it? Isn't the Rambam said, who heard the words? Moshe Rabbeinu, and then he taught B'nai Yisrael, but here it says that B'nai Yisrael also heard the words. What words did they hear? Anochi and Lo That's what B'nai Yisrael, that's what B'nai Yisrael heard. They mean, listen to this, these words reached them just as they reached Moshe our master, and that it was not Moshe our master who communicated them to them. For these two principles, I mean the existence of the deity and its being one, are knowable by human speculation alone. Now, with regard to everything that can be known by demonstration, the status of the prophet and that of everyone else who knows it, are equal. There is no superiority of one over the other. Those These two principles are not known through prophecy alone. Ah. What do you think? No! He got out of it! Listen to what the Rambam says. The Rambam says, if there's something that you could know by being a philosopher, right, something that's knowable by, like, Avram Avidu. Avram Avidu came to the conclusion that there was one God. But that conclusion was not the conclusion he came to because he was a Navi. 
It was a clue he came to because he was a good thinker. He was able, he looked around and he said, well, this is crazy. And he concluded that it's one God. So he says, in terms of that piece of information, that there is one God which is knowable through speculation and thinking, there is no difference between the Navi, the great Navi, and the great thinker, and the thoughtful person. There's no difference. So when it comes to Anoch Hashem, Anoch Hashem, number one, and Lo Yeloch number two, it makes sense to say that B'nai Yisrael heard these words. Because those words are not on the level of prophecy that they were excluded from. But everything else after those two statements, well, I, mean, I think this is a wonderful explanation because everybody knows that they only heard the first two they wrote, but nobody knows why. Why shouldn't they hear about Shabbat, about Kabbalah, what's so terrible about all of that? And <coughs> doesn't it look like is like philosophy or a big idea whereas Kabbalah is a kind of more reasonable statement that everybody should be able to understand <coughs> I may make it yes you, you want to tell me you want me to tell you what? No, no, you, you, he thinks you know it's Baal Peh. It's just like that, 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 like that, that, that. Is he right? We all know that. <coughs> okay, the last sentence in that paragraph says, the text of the Torah says unto thee it was shown and so on as for the other commandments they belong to the class of generally accepted opinions and those adopted in virtual tradition not so the class not to the class of the intellect okay fine what? when you say I thought what am I supposed to think? <laughs> That like something that means something to me? <laughs> Are you Moshe Rabbeinu's alter ego? <laughs> what the Rabbah is saying is, if my theory is correct, and my theory is that Moshe Rabbeinu is the one who received the information and then taught it to B'nai Yisrael, then this idea in Chazal about the first two Dibrot doesn't seem to fit in. That's the question. The answer that the Rambam gives is, it's okay. It actually does fit in. It fits in because, <coughs> because, uh, because these are philosophical matters that can be understood by the human intellect. And you don't need prophecy for that. You need prophecy for the Torah because we couldn't really get to the same conclusions in the same way we could get to those topics like Shabbos and Kibur Avraim, but we couldn't get to the details quite in the same way, and therefore the Torah is the Torah. Yes. So he's saying that the, uh, the Jews had discerned it intellectually, and therefore they had the ability to then hear those words from God. Yes. Except that I don't know if it means that the Jews themselves were standing there, the certain they had a tradition from Avraham Avinu. With the Avot. Avram Vin is the one who knew there's only one God and that you can't be idolatrous. So they had been taught maybe this intellectual construct and so it formed right, their so brain. They, they knew it to them and it made sense. But since it made sense to them, the words also made sense to them. There were other really smart philosophers before the start. There were? So, but they didn't understand this. But, but what this is saying is that because you could <coughs> speculate as to, the, as to the truth, that's why they heard the words. No, but they yeah. knew they knew this information. I think what, what you said. What's your name? Sarah. 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 With a hyphen. Mm-hmm. 
Hyphens are good. <laughs> but the latest is without a hyphen, without a space. It's like in the computer, you know, everything is there. I think she is right. Because once you have in your mind a certain idea, then you kind of can discover it out in the field, even where ordinarily you would need prophecy. It's like out of your mind. Mm-hmm. It's out of you. Yeah. So, so, when did you come to Israel, so? Yesterday. Yesterday. You look weary. How'd you get out of the snow? I like this. Oh, you came before the snow? Uh, okay. <laughs> right, natural law. But it doesn't include the details. In other words, there are certain general ideas that people have, but the Torah treats them in a special way. And you never know that without the Torah. It's true that this idea of natural law exists, which means that there's a sort of kind of a, a general position that it's adopted, it's bad to kill, it's bad to steal. But the details of the laws of, of, of stealing or the laws of, <coughs> of Shabbat, I mean, they're certainly not there. They're not, you know, everybody could say a day off a week is a good thing. But that doesn't make that day off into Shabbat. But according to the way the Ramah explains Anoka and Loyalaba, then at least Lotertok would probably finish Shabbat. No, I don't think so. He seems to think that saying the unity of God, the fact there's only one God, is something that means the same thing to everybody. You could either accept it or reject it. But you, it doesn't have a different meaning. And once there is one God, so then the idea of idolatry also has only one meaning. What? I guess, I guess it does. I guess it does. I mean, you mean it's, it's getting harder to define this thing that the Ramah says. Okay. I don't mind that so much. I mean, you know, I, I, you could try. We could work at it. We could work at it, but there are too many, there are too many variables. Like what you're talking about is Tarashabal Kheh. I mentioned before that there are many commentators who think that the, there was really no Torah Shaval Peh in the first Luchot, in the first tablets. And Torah Shaval Peh came along as a result of a weakness. So is this the way always I understand uh, uh, transgression? Like, uh, so what did Ben Israel do? They built the golden calf. Now, were they idolatrous? They just heard, you know, just received this instruction, don't be idolatrous. How could they build the golden calf? They say, well, <coughs> they, mis- <coughs> they weren't idolatrous. They misunderstood something about what it says in the Pasuk, which is why you then needed to add on to Rashi But, I mean, okay, I mean, it's true. But the Rambam doesn't address it. I don't know what the Rambam says right now. Not whether we like the Rambam or don't like the Rambam. Because the end is going to be important. Taking into consideration whatever they have said about this, the text and the dicta of the sages permit considering as admissible that all Israel only heard at the gathering one voice, one single time, the voice through which Moshe and all Israel apprehended, I and thou shalt not, not have, mean that, 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 which commandments Moshe made them hear again as spoken in his own in his own subject. In his own speech with an articulation of the letters that were heard. The sages said that, said this, quoting the foot of the surge, the dictum of God has spoken once, twice they've heard this. This is a puff again uh, in Tehillim, which is usually ascribed to the distinction between Zachor and Shamor. Right, that in the Luchot in Shmot, in the parasha of Yitro, we learn Zachor at Yom HaShabbat HaKadshah, and in and Vethanan, Shamor at Yom HaShabbat HaKadshah. So that there was something miraculous about even the speech of, of the Aserot Adibrod, the words, because those two words were given at the same time. And they made it clear at the beginning of Vidrash Chazita, 
that they had not heard another voice coming from him, may be an exalted is to a text of the Torah, a great voice, and he added no more. Rakol Gadol Velo Yasach. There was this great voice. After that, they had heard the first voice that they, it is mentioned, were terrified of the thing and felt a great fear. And that they, as is reported, said, and you said, Behold, the Lord our God hath shown us, and so on. Now, therefore, why should we die and so on, go thou near and hear and so on? Therefore, he who was greater than any, anyone born of man went forward a second time to see the rest of the commandments, one after the other, sent to the root of the mountain, and made them hear these commandments in the midst of that great gathering. In other words, <coughs> the Rambam expands on the idea that Moshe Rabbeinu was the teacher of B'nai Yisrael because he was the sole recipient of the Torah when he went up to get the whole Torah for 40 days he first you know, he went up to get the other Ten Commandments uh, this is like a, a problem in how many times he actually went up and down but, but he went and got the other, other Eight Commandments and then he taught them to B'nai Yisrael and then after that uh, and meanwhile on the line 14 they were seeing the fires and hearing the voices I mean these voices are said to be voices of lightning and thunder and the loud voice of the trumpet all that you find mentioned about hearing many voices as for instance the dictum and all the people saw the voices refers only to the voice of the trumpet to the thunderings and the like and to the voice of the Lord I mean the created voice by which the speech of God was understood and this is another finish of the Rambam the Rambam says that the voice that they heard that B'nai Israel heard was the created voice what's a created voice? a created voice is not God he's trying to he's trying to Move B'nai Yisrael further and further away at Hashinah from this notion of intimacy with God. First of all, they didn't hear the words. They only heard the voice. And then the voice they heard was not God, it was a creation that God made for them. So that away, further away, further away from this idea that B'nai Yisrael could somehow at Har Sinai actually bond with God. That could not be. Line 22, this was the voice on hearing which the soul went out of them and through which the first two commandments were apprehended. Know that with regard to that voice too. Their rank was not equal to the rank of Moshe, our master. You hear that? Or what is he protecting here? What is, what is the Rambam protecting? The Rambam is protecting the idea that Moshe Rabbeinu was a necessary ingredient in Matan Torah. It wasn't incidental to the process. It wasn't that there was too much Torah to teach at one time and so Moshe Rabbeinu was the teacher during the 38 years in the desert. No. Moshe Rabbeinu was the necessary intermediary between God and his Torah and B'nai Yisrael. Necessary. And because he was the necessary intermediary, it is inconceivable to the Rambam that B'nai Yisrael had an experience that was in any way similar to the prophecy of Moshe Rabbeinu. That's the point, I think. If you go through it again, if you look at what the Rambam wrote, you would see. In, 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 it's almost Kabbalistic. The Rambam says, the Rambam says, you know what you need is Moshe Rabbeinu. The Rambam, who disagrees with the Rambam at this point, but he says about a different question. He says also, what do you need Moshe Rabbeinu for? <coughs> what do you need Moshe Rabbeinu? Why couldn't God just teach them the Torah? They're standing there, I see that. Everybody could have gotten, you know, like I remember, you're the Habdil, when I did the, when you do the Hashba'ah, when you go to the, into Tzahar, when you go to the army, and then they have this little uh, event. <coughs> I'm not sure exactly what everybody thinks this event is about, but when I did it, it was at the Kotel. 
At the end of the event, they gave everybody a Tanakh. So couldn't Akkadish Baruch do that? Give everybody a Tanakh of Hashina? So the Rabban said no. Because the Torah is not only what it looks like. The Torah is full of secrets and special kinds of information about God and the created world and the relationship between man and God. And these things are not all written down in an obvious way. But they have to be mined out of the Torah. You have to dig them up. And in order that they should be there to be dug up, it has to be the transmission has to be done by somebody who understands all of that. It was Moshe Rabbeinu was the only one who didn't learn the Torah in order to find out more about the Torah because he knew it. Because <coughs> that was the sine qua non, the prerequisite to giving the Torah over. The Torah is not just a neutral text that is kind of dealt with by different people in different ways. But the Torah has this kind of built-in profundity. But in order to get to it, you have to be profound. And in order to get the Torah to include all of that, you have to be Moshe Rabbein. And so the Rambam says, in the seventh parak of Hilchot Yisodeya Torah, that one cannot make the mistake of thinking that all, any other prophet was similar in any way to Moshe Rabbeinu. Because Moshe Rabbeinu was the only one who kind of uh, imitated Adam Arishon. <coughs> the level of prophecy of Adam Arishon was he's walking around the Gadaden and talking to God. He doesn't need a special invitation. He doesn't have to, uh, he doesn't have to pass a test. He doesn't have to live up to a standard. He's there. And that's Moshe Rabbeinu. That's Moshe Rabbeinu. And that's why I always tell you that the epitaph of Moshe Rabbeinu was that he was humble. Humble doesn't mean that Moshe Rabbeinu didn't know what he was worth. Humble means that if you walk with God all the time, how could you think about where you're going to sit in Shul? How could you think about whether you should be the president or the honored guest at the dinner? Right? I'll tell you a good story. Very a good story? Rabbi Gusman, Sechrono Levracha, who lived in uh, many years in Rechavia, and established a yeshiva called Netzach Yisrael. I'm not sure the yeshiva still exists, but the place, the Beit Midrash, still exists. So, Rav Gusman became a Dayan in Vilna, in the Beit Din of Rav Chaim Oizer, at a very young age. He was 20. I mean, he was like a brilliant uh, student. And he became a Dayan at a very young age. He told the story, he said, the people asked him, how come you're not so concerned about whether you stand or you sit or who comes first or comes later? You know, like in the matter of other Rosh Yeshiva that are very interested in Kavod, in the way it looks. You know, the way it looks is very important to them. So Gusman said, when I was 19, 20, whatever I was, I became a Dayan in the Beit Din of Chaim Eisen. And the first time that I sat in the Beit Din, I walked in and they all stood up for me. All the Dayanim. He says, after that, there was no, I had no interest in Kabod of any kind. You know, like when you, you're over the top. So you're not going to take another, another little bit of cover. That was his story. <coughs> and I believed, and that was Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu's anivut, or anava, derived from the fact, derived from the fact that he was with God. 
If you're the God, I mean, there's nothing else that's very, that, that's so important. I'll, I'll listen to this in a second. So, Mo, so the Rambam says that the prophecy of Moshe Rabbeinu was unique. And it's unique because you needed that kind of unique prophecy to bring the Torah into the world. And if the Rambam, the Kuzuri, were, were correct, that even for a moment all the people of Israel were on the same level of prophecy as Moshe Rabbeinu, that <coughs> you might say that you wouldn't need Moshe Rabbeinu. You don't need that because everybody is like that. Everybody has that, that option. So Moshe Rabbeinu, so the Rambam is very careful. I would say. The Rambam is very careful to prove to us, to show to us that, <coughs> that the prophecy of Moshe Rabbeinu is absolutely necessary even at the time of Matan Torah, that only somebody on the level of Moshe Rabbeinu could be the one who transmits the Torah to B'nai Yisrael. Only Moshe Rabbeinu. As far as Anochi and the Rambam has an interesting way of explaining it away. He's saying, Chazal don't disagree with me, but you have to understand that intellectual things that you know, philosophically or intellectually, you don't have to be a prophet to be able to validate that that is the divine position. Because certainly God is approved of, of the truth, of what we are able to find in the truth. Ben, what uh, In the case, he said that the Chazal had to answer the question of how he prove prophecy. And so, if they were all equal, then they could say, ah, he is a true prophet. So how does the Rambam uh, define prophet? How does the nature of the no, they had an experience of prophecy. They heard the voice. But they didn't know, and so they agreed Moshe is the true prophet uh, just by hearing a voice, not by being on the same level. Right. Not being on the same level, but they, they, that produced an expectation, like a chazakah, that, that Moshe Rabbeinu would tell them the truth. But I mean, uh, it, it's, a, it's a, a good question and something that could be discussed. The answer is not obvious to me. Okay. Have a good show.